Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast, hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hello, 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 guys. It is Tuesday. Happy Tuesday afternoon. This is your host, Jessica Tai, and welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast, episode number 54. Five, four. I can't believe it. <laughs> we are just flying through these episodes. It's awesome. So, gosh, I have just got so much stuff going on. So much, so many exciting things in my life right now, and um, some maybe not so exciting, not so great things. But I'm going to choose to focus on the positive here, folks. <laughs> so, um, so many things I want to share with you guys. So, first of all, I signed the lease agreement today on a brand new office space for myself. So, I'm very excited about that. Um, it is in a target area of town that I like to be in. It's actually in Loveland, Ohio, which is the neighboring suburb to where I live. So my office is about 10 minutes down the street from my house and about five minutes or so from both of our vacation properties that we rent there, um, our Airbnb properties that are located in Loveland. So that's very convenient. Um, it's a great space. It is in an office, uh, in a chiropractor's office that is um, owned by the building and the and the practice there is owned by a good friend of, of ours, of mine and Derek's. And they were actually uh, real estate clients at one time. And uh, anyway, so I'm very excited to be in this office. I'm super excited to be sharing this space with this chiropractor and friend. And he is uh, just a has all the right philosophies. Uh, definitely looks at health holistically, and um, is just going to be a wonderful wealth of information for me as well. And just kind of growing my practice, and just kind of the things that I'll be able to glean from working alongside him will be exciting. But <clears throat> so anyway, I'm very glad to have a space there in his office and. Hopefully we'll be there for a while and looking forward to that. So that's big news. That was very exciting today to have that happen. So I will be officially moving in there next week. So not long. And um, let's see, what else? Oh, I finally uh, got everything up and running and ready for the sign-up for the new five-week restart class that I'm that I'm starting. So if you heard on the last um, podcast, maybe the last two, I mentioned that I was going to be a certified um, restart uh, class instructor, and I did take care of that. So I am now certified to teach those classes and have the program ready to go. So I am going to be starting those classes in August. And my first pilot class, so the first one that I'm offering to the public, um, I'm going to call it the pilot class since it's the uh, first class that the public will be able to join. And that is going to start on August 16th. 
So um, again, that's August 16th. That is a Thursday, and it will be every Thursday from August 16th to September 13th. So every Thursday, it'll be about an hour and a half long class. So it'll be from 10 a.m. until 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we're gonna start it there so that, you know, we'll just, we'll see. I know for for moms, uh, it's very, and dads, it can be really hard to try and do anything in the evenings with kids' sports and all those types of things. So I surveyed some friends and family, and they uh, came back with that being an accurate, a good time to start with. So we're going to try that one first, and then um, I'll open it up here uh, probably in the next couple of months, and I'll offer uh, several more classes. I'll do some evening classes, and then I will be offering some locally where you can come in person. But this first class, the pilot class, I am going to be offering that at a discounted rate. It's only going to be $199, and that is for five weeks, um, one hour and a half session per week um, with me live uh, through a Zoom account. Uh, you know, We'll do a Zoom classroom, and I will be teaching you the class live every week. And we are limiting this class to 10 people maximum. So um, it's going to be very limited availability. So if you have interest in it and would like to get signed up, please go to my website and you can uh, put in your information there and then you'll get an email from me with further uh, instructions on how you can lock in your spot. So if you are interested in signing up, you can go to my website. Um, Again, that is www.jessicatai.com and you can do forward slash restart. That's R-E-S-T-A-R-T, and that will get you uh, to the right page where you can then sign up for the restart class. So it should be, um, I think it'll be really good for you. It's like I said, it's a five-week program. It's nutritional education, so it is not just uh, keto. However, I will tell you that uh, what we're going to be learning about is uh, basically doing a sugar detox and learning about healthy fats. That's a big part of the class. So it'll definitely be kind of empowering you and educating you on nutrition. And I really believe that nutritional education is really the one of the biggest parts of the puzzle for people in making your your diet more and so basically in order to help you do that uh, one of the tools or two of the tools that you'll get when you sign up for this class is I will send you the restart journal so it's a three-month daily journal to help you track your progress and it helps you just kind of make the connections between what you're eating and you know how you're feeling and how things are working for you so definitely on par with my beliefs for kind of working you toward more intuitive eating. And I think this is a really great way to do it because a lot of people, especially if you're listening to this podcast, a lot of people really want to go keto and they want to go all in day one, you know, high fat, low carbs, you know, they're just gung-ho for it. And sometimes that can be a real shock to your system, especially for women. It can be um, very jolting and have repercussions with your hormones and whatnot. It can also, you know, not be the best situation, especially if you don't have your digestion on track. So what I love about this program is it's going to kind of help you work through um, a little bit slower. So over a 
five-week period of time, really cutting out the stuff that you shouldn't be eating and focusing on the good whole foods and things that I would recommend as a nutritional therapy practitioner to my clients. And then at that point, if you wanted additional guidance when you are finished with this, it would be a really great time to then go into to keto and try to do that if that is the route that you want to go. Um, so I just think this is a beautiful way to do it. So in addition to the restart journal, you will also get a restart cookbook. And um, I will send that out to you as well. And that not only has a ton of really great recipes in it, but it also has uh, meal plans and shopping lists and basic cooking technique information and all kinds of great information. It gives you information on um, having, you know, on, on the benefits of like fermented foods and stuff like that, how to make your own fermented foods if you would like to get into doing that. Um, kind of helps you get through like cleaning out a pantry, what should you have in your pantry, and then kind of uh, clearing out the things that don't need to be in there that kind of trip you up. So again, if you're interested in this class, I uh, definitely want to stress to you that it is going to be limited to 10 people for this, and this is the only one that I'm offering at this time online. Um, I will have some in-person classes coming up, and I may do another online session before the end of the year, but I'm not going to guarantee that because we're going to see how this is going to go. This is kind of an experiment for me to do, a, you know, a Zoom classroom and and do this class, you know, lead this class online. So um, I'm. That's why this is a pilot class, and that's why this is at a discounted rate. So if you're interested in being one of those people, then uh, please do go to my website and sign up for that. I'll have the link in the show notes as well. If you're, um, you know, if you didn't write that down or afraid you won't remember it. So again, it's five weekly group meetings, which will be 90 minutes long. You will get uh, PDF guides for each weekly meeting. So prior to the meeting, I will send you PDF guides. You will get support emails from me throughout the entire five-week session. And you will also have lifetime access to a private Facebook group where you can continue to receive online support from me and from your fellow classmates and then people that have attended other classes um, or that will be attending other classes. And then um, you, like I said, you also get the cookbook and the journal. So uh, we will, I will prepare you for how to do a sugar detox, uh, just using eating real foods. We're not going to be drinking any crazy concoctions or anything like that, but this is a gentle way to help you do a sugar detox, which I think pretty much all of us um, could say very confidently would be a very good thing and we could use that. Um, I promise you it will be amazing for your health and the things that you will get just from doing this sugar detox alone will be amazing. So uh, we also are going to look at your digestion. We'll do a little digestion check-in and see how that's going for you. We're going to learn about what sugar is doing to your body. Uh, we're going to learn about fats. So again, kind of prep you if you want to move forward into more of a ketogenic life style after this. And, um, and then our last week will just be basically moving forward and kind of celebrating everything that you've done over those last five weeks. So, um, it'll be a great class, a great group. And okay. So that's all I want to say about that. And, um, hmm, 
I think that's really all the announcements I have uh, necessarily that you guys would be excited about. It's some pretty exciting stuff. But another exciting thing that I have is my interview today that I'm going to share with you. So uh, this interview, this guest, I was super excited to talk to. So her name is Jade Nelson. And if you are unfamiliar, if you've not heard of her before, um, I think you are going to be in for a real treat. So she is uh, has... Um, epilepsy. She has had epilepsy since childhood. Um, I believe at seven or eight years old, she was um, diagnosed, had her first seizure and was diagnosed at that time. So, and she is now using the ketogenic diet to do what she struggled for years to get drugs to do, um, or at least as a supplement uh, to you know, to the other protocols that she is doing to control her seizures. And of course, um, you know, this is near and dear to my heart, having uh, my daughter herself uh, be diagnosed with epilepsy. And so um, there was just a real pleasure to talk to her. If you or someone you know is uh, epileptic or has a child that has epileptic seizures, um, I urge you to share this episode with them, to um, get them, you know, to get the, the information about this episode, about Jade. Um, she gives us all of the information on how you can find her. She is doing lots of speaking engagements currently, and which I think is absolutely wonderful. And she is just a really great resource and um, just just proof to parents like myself that uh, that a child with epilepsy can um, grow up and be a thriving adult that is really living life with purpose and helping other people. I can't imagine anything that Jade could be doing that would be more important than what she is doing with her life right now. And I just commend her for what she's doing and the time that she's giving to people and I just think it's amazing. So I really hope that you'll enjoy this interview. She is super sweet, uh, very knowledgeable, and I think she gives some really good information, just practical, down-to-earth information that you can use, um, specifically if you know somebody that is dealing with epilepsy. And even if you don't, um, she really gives some good information and some good advice about um, keto, finding what works for you, and other lifestyle um, you know, uh, parts of your lifestyle like sleep and stress management and movement and things like that that all play into this lifestyle. It is not just about nutrition. And so she's um, really great about talking about that. So um, without further ado, let me introduce my guest. Jade is an epilepsy advocate, community health educator, lifestyle writer, and, and licensed massage therapist. She is passionate about self-care, the ketogenic lifestyle, and epilepsy advocacy. Jade focuses her energy on sharing her personal journey of healing and overcoming the challenges of epilepsy to help bring hope, empowerment, and education to those seeking to change or accept the challenges in their life. Jade uses her experiences and education to work with individuals and businesses to bring out their best version of themselves. All right. Hi, Jade, and welcome to the podcast. 
Hello, I'm glad to be with you today. Yeah, so I am excited to talk to you and excited to introduce you to my listeners because I have been following you for some time on Instagram and I've heard you on at least one other podcast, maybe two at this point. But um, so anyway, can you tell people a little bit more about who you are and kind of your journey to keto? Yeah, um, so this is always, I think, one of the hardest questions for me to answer because my story is, isn't just, it didn't begin at keto. It, mm -hmm. it started with my epilepsy diagnosis um, when I was eight years old. And I spent the first 28 years using strictly medication and self-care type techniques that my mom incorporated into our life. Mm -hmm. And then about 28 years ago, uh, excuse me, not 23 years ago, I was kind of struggling. I had been put on a third medication and I was having extreme side effects and I was losing weight and I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling the best that I could be. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was kind of literally, uh, fading away. My mom actually used that term. It looked like I was literally fading away. And I, I got a phone call from my sister and we were chatting and I was crying again. And she simply had said, you know, you need to look into the ketogenic diet. And that's kind of where things began to change for me. I, I literally that day looked online a little bit, called up my doctor, made an appointment, went in, told them I wanted to try the ketogenic diet and I wanted to be off this one medication that was making me so sick. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of started there. And he sent me away with a very small amount of information. And that kind of set me on my own journey of with keto and how it became very much a huge, like I call it the icing on the cake of everything I do. And it uh, helped me get off more medication than I'd ever been able to. And I've been able to work full time and have a functioning job. I'm seizure free right now and, uh, have a fairly, fairly normal, um, normal life. You can consider anything normal nowadays, right? <laughs> right. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. So let's go back to, if you don't mind to the eight year old you, um, yeah. because I'm really interested in this part of it because as a mom to a, a daughter that has been diagnosed epileptic, I am really curious how that played out. How did your, um, how did you, how did your first seizure go? You know, kind of what, how that all came about and, and then how the diagnosis was given to your mom. Okay. So basically I had my first very large full-blown seizure where I was taken to the hospital and everything when I was seven and a half. It was actually, it will be... <laughs> It'll be 31 years on July 4th, wow. um, the anniversary of my first seizure. Um, so that was in, I believe, 1987. And I was playing playing in my room with the neighbor girl and my sister. And I literally, I was doing something. I was drawing. And I kept telling her, my right arm feels funny. It was like numb. Like I couldn't pick it up. And I kept trying to do something. And the next thing I knew, I literally fell flat on my back. And um, and they thought I was playing. They thought I was joking. And then the next mm -hmm. thing I knew, I could hear my friend screaming for my mom. And then she was by my side. And they took me to the hospital that night. 
they did a bunch of tests. But it was determined I'd had a seizure, but I didn't quite, I didn't get my diagnosis till um, later that spring. I would have another seizure. And then I ended up having uh, some MRIs and EEGs and they found a, a spot on the left temporal lobe of my brain. Mm-hmm. When they called my mother, this is what they said to her. And just, I mean, you can probably relate to this as a mother, but my mom worked nights as a nurse and she got a call, woke her up and they said, this is uh, UC Davis Medical Center, blah, blah, blah. We, your daughter has a glioblastoma. You need to get up here right now. Now, <clears throat> if anybody doesn't know what a glioblastoma is, it's basically cancer or growth in your brain. Mm-hmm. That's not what it ended up being. So we get there, they end up doing a brain biopsy and it's determined mm-hmm. that it wasn't that it was actually a scar from mm-hmm. birth. Um, and in my left temporal lobe. So they'd gone in with the biopsy, pulled it out and, and it showed, uh, it was necrotic tissue. Mm-hmm. So scar tissue. And so that's when we got the official diagnosis and it was determined that it was probably likely due to the umbilical cord being wrapped around my neck at birth. Um, my mother was in labor with me for 24 hours. So every time there was a contraction, the oxygen supply was cut off, uh, to my brain and that's how I ended up with, uh, that scar and the diagnosis of epilepsy. Wow. So, so it had, did, when you had your seizure, the first seizure at seven and a half, do you, were you, I guess, I, I know they can play out so differently, but for my daughter, when she had her seizure, she, um, so my daughter's nonverbal. She, she doesn't uh, speak. Mm-hmm. She's six years old. And she had her first seizure um, at five and a half um, this past uh, Thanksgiving, uh, like the week of Thanksgiving was when she had hers. But um, she was completely unable to respond to us at all uh, during Mm -hmm. the seizure. And so I'm just out of just a curiosity standpoint, and I know they can all be different, but, um, were you able to respond to your friends or to your mom when they, when during the seizure? And do you remember that, you know, all of that playing out or is that kind of like a part that's gone? Nope. I remember all of it. I actually remember pretty much all of my seizures, a lot of them. Um, so Mine are different, but it's funny you ask this question because every time I go to a parent support group or anything, the first question I get asked is, what does it feel like? Mm -hmm. Does my child know I'm there? Mm -hmm. And you're right. Everybody is different and each individual feels their seizures differently and they affect them differently. But from my standpoint, basically, I'm completely aware. I just mm. cannot respond and I typically, I can't, my body is, is out of control. I, I can't tell my mom anything or say anything. And most of the time I was laying on the ground when this was happening, but I can hear everything. I can smell everything. I can feel everything and I'm conscious of everything. So I always tell parents, hold your child's hand mm-hmm. and just be there because that out of all the seizures I've had in my life, the ones where I've been alone were the most scariest, but Mm. knowing someone was there. And even if it was a stranger, I didn't even know. Um, it felt okay. Typically whenever I would go into a seizure, if someone was nearby, I literally was holding, I had a hold of their hand just because it just felt, I guess the best way to describe it now. And God, it makes me kind of sad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it made me feel grounded and connected to the world and anybody around me because inside of me was so out of control. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's tough. I'm sorry. I'm no, it's very emotional okay, <laughs> on the other end too, listening to you describe it because, um, that is what I did with my daughter is just immediately we found her, um, after a nap having her first seizure. So, um, I immediately picked her up and held her on my lap and just, um, gosh, I almost can't talk about it. It seems like it's, uh, was, you know, we're past this, but just brings up so many emotions, but I did just, you know, hold her hand. It just kept telling her over and over again, mommy's here. You're going to be fine. Um, but she was clearly out of control of her body. I mean, she couldn't, do anything. And so I was just, you know, praying that she was able to hear me and know that we were working on getting her help. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, cause I just feel like if there's any parents that are listening out there, I just want them to, uh, to kind of just have maybe, maybe they've never heard that from anybody before, um, from an adult that's gone through this and, is able to explain to them that um, that it is very quite possible that your child can hear you and and it does help them to feel like even though in that moment they're out of control that they know someone's there and they're they're working on helping them and and they're not alone and and not yeah. to be scared especially for young children you know like my mm-hmm. my daughter at five and a half I mean you know, if a child wakes up from a nightmare, you know, they're, they're scared to death, but I can't imagine what it's like to feel trapped in your body and you can't stop what's happening to you. Yeah. It's, you know, like for me, when I describe it to people, um, to me, it feels like a train. That's where the the social media handle came from. The train inside me (laughs) is that whole feeling. I, I can hear, it sounds like a loud train, like coming down a track. And I'm laying on that track and it, by the time the seizure is full blown, it literally feels like I'm being run over. Wow. And then, and then you come out of it. And for me, at least my seizures have definitely changed from when I was that first one at seven and a half and, and now as an adult, but, uh, I would come out feeling like someone beat me, like every muscle in my body ached. Mm. I had the, such a bad headache. I could barely lift my head up off the pillow those things that literally, it was what I described as, as, you know, being run over by a train Yeah. As wow. a child, you know, as a child, we come up with these ideas and that is exactly, I used to say to my mom, you know, the train is coming. Wow. So, okay. So you, so then you, you've been on medication like through your, so after you got the diagnosis as a young child, you've been on medication and, um, so has the medication over the years managed this for you? I mean, obviously I guess they've had to change things up and they keep adding or taking away medications and that's what led you to where you are today and the ketogenic diet. But, um, kind of how's that played out? How's the, the medication route played out for you over the years? So this is the thing with me and everybody's different, but a lot of people I've talked to over the years the medications stop working after after a few years, mm-hmm. and then they have to switch them. They don't seem you can't. It's like you don't get to get put on one. At least I haven't met anybody yet. Maybe mm-hmm. there are some out there, but you get put on it, and that's that. Mm-hmm. And because the other 
issue was, is I had two different types of seizures. So one medication wasn't going to cover one, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I started out, they, I, I've been on a total of 10 different kinds of medications over the years, Mm -hmm. but never on more than three at one time. Mm. Um, and I say that like that was an okay number. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, we started out on phenobarbital, didn't last very long on that because that changed me, my whole personality and everything about me. Mm-hmm. And then um, we went on Tegretol and I stayed on that for almost, actually, I'm on a form of Tegretol right now called Garbitrol, which is a time release form. Mm-hmm. So I've been on that one basically since the, since the beginning, but I have had to add different medications well, like when I hit puberty um, when I hit my twenties, uh, like childbearing years, every time my hormones shifted, it seemed like I had to switch things up again. Mm. That's interesting. Um, yeah. That's another thing that people don't really realize, like, uh, as women or as girls with mm-hmm. epilepsy, the hormones as I don't, I'm sure, you know, maybe your people, mm-hmm. uh, your, your listeners know, but they're different every day. And as we grow in age, they change. So when I hit puberty, my seizures went out of control again. Mm. So, so it was just like a combination, but in reality, I was never really seizure free on the medication. I was, I had, I still had small little tiny breakthrough seizures, Mm -hmm. um, or had lots and lots of auras, which some people consider auras seizures. Uh, I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, call them that I consider them warnings. Yes. (laughs) It's, it's the body's way of saying, slow down, Mm -hmm. stop what you're doing and Mm reevaluate. And if you don't listen, we'll be sorry. So, yeah. So yeah, with medications, it was, it's just a, uh, felt like a, a game. Try this, shuffle this around. Um, and then you have all the side effects that went with it that made life a lot, a lot harder. So, right. And so, and throughout all of these medications that you guys are trying out and you're doing all these things and the side effects that come along with that, which I know, um, can vary greatly. And there's so many different things. Was there at no point that a doctor said, you know, let's look at your diet or let's consider this just knowing the history of where the ketogenic diet has even gained you know, popularity in today's day and age. Knowing the history of that, there were, it's just surprising to me. Well, it's not really surprising to me because, <laughs> because actually, yeah. because we've not had this discussion with any doctors. And when I talk to them about it, they look at me like I have three heads. But, but it just, so at no point did a doctor say to you, you know what, let's just try, let's try implementing this and see if this helps to control her seizures a little bit. No, nope. And do they, yeah. did they even ever question like, what do you eat? Oh no. That is, never. and that is fascinating to me. Um, that's the nicest way I can put it, <laughs> but yes. I, you know, cause I, when my daughter had her first seizure, um, she ended up being, um, she ended up being air cared and we were in the intensive care unit for five days. And she had multiple seizures during that time, was in and out of consciousness, um, very scary, multiple MRIs, multiple scans, trying to figure out where the, the, um, 
basically where this was emanating from, like what, what was causing this kind of, you know, you know, the whole deal. Right. But not Mm -hmm. one time. And we had, and we were at, um, we're, we are very blessed to be very close to Cincinnati children's hospital, which is one of the premier hospitals in the country, um, children's hospitals in the country. So we, we had access to all these amazing specialists and we, I think we saw, Every single specialist from every single possible uh, area of medicine in that in our hospital room constantly during those that time we were in the um, ICU, but not one of them, not one time, asked us what we feed our child or if she has a good appetite or if she, you know, nothing. And that just blows my mind that that is never even a consideration. I mean, especially considering that they couldn't even figure out for the longest time where this was coming from. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It it actually doesn't surprise me um, that they never asked or never did. Um, mm-hmm. I My mother was a nurse, so I grew up from, when when she was in medical, when she was in nursing school, that's when I had my, sur- my seizure, right when she graduated. Wow. So, um, being, knowing the back knowledge of like a Western medicine approach, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't surprise me because they don't get that education. Um, I, I do definitely believe it, it it's wrong on so many levels because that's not teaching the whole, the whole person, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, you can't, I can't be mad at them for what they weren't actually given. They weren't taught it. Which so, is, that's um, very true. I mean, that is very yeah. true. It's, it's almost, I've but kind it's, of, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Um, but still on the end of the parent, I can't even begin to know what that feels like, but the frustration and, you know, I, I talk to so many parents now and I'm in contact with so many parents and you just want your kid to be good, well and yeah. healthy and not hurt and when you have something like epilepsy thrown into your lap and you're like, what, what am I supposed to do? Help me. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear. Help me. And you go to who you think is going to help and it's doctors and they aren't always going to have the answers you want or mm-hmm. need or even know where to get them. And the one thing that I was taught really well by my mom was to be responsible for my own well-being. Yes. Um, my own, um, know my medications, know how to deal with insurance companies, how to communicate with doctors, um, and to read everything I could get my hands on. And that's what I tell parents, educate your child. Don't shield them from this. It's not going to go away. Right. You want them prepared. So when they go out into the world and they become me, cause they will become a grown adult. You don't want them still like, I just, living at home if they don't have to. Some people with epilepsy are law are have are higher functioning than some. Mm-hmm. And if they can go out and hold a job, don't take that from them. And if they can't drive, teach them how to use the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, empower them in any way you can and teach them how to be safe at the same time. But don't shield them from your because of your fears. Yeah, that's a really, really great message. I think that's super important. And that's, you know, that's a super important message to anyone out there. And really any parent should be teaching their children, you know, to to be their own best advocate. 
in, mm-hmm. in whatever area of life. Um, but yeah, for sure in their own healthcare, because yes, doctors, doctors don't know everything. And, and I know, you know, I kind of, I'm about the same age as you. So we kind of grew up in the era and our, and our parents definitely grew up in the era of, you know, your doctor knows best and the doctor knows everything. And you just, you go to the doctor and they tell you what to do and you just follow it and don't question it. But I think that we're definitely learning now and the word is getting out there that really your doctor at best should be your partner in working through what you need for your health care and wellness, not the dictator that you go to and they tell you everything and then you just, you know, blindly say, yes, okay, I'll do that. Yep. And um, so, yeah, I think the the days of empowered patients are here, and and I think that's very important. Um, My last neurologist that I had when I lived up in the Pacific Northwest once looked at me and he said, Jade, I'm just a tool for you. I provide you the information and you ultimately make the decision. That's awesome. Now, that is what I was like. When he said that, I looked at him. I'm like, now you, that's what every doctor should be like. That's right. Yeah. You know, and and help to empower, you're empowering your patient to be responsible. So it's it's a tough thing, though, because it can be all extremely overwhelming in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's the one thing for me that has made it so I can do everything that I do, making myself knowledgeable. So that's wonderful. So you're so fast forward, here we are three years ago, mm-hmm. um, you get on this new medication, it's got these side effects. So um, I think you said it was it your sister? Yeah, it that, was my sister. Okay, that told you, let's do, you know, let's look into this ketogenic diet. So you do that. So then mm-hmm. how does that um, I guess, uh, first of all, what was the first resources that you used to find out about the ketogenic diet? Because then three years ago, even there was not nothing yeah. nothing like there is today. I mean, it's everywhere today, right? You've got podcasts. No, like this I, it one is. And- I mean, I, I was just at the KetoCon conference, um, you know, three weeks ago. So three right. years ago, it was like, it didn't exist. <laughs> no, there was like nothing. And there was people out there, but the, what was starting to upkick was the weight loss. Mm-hmm. So when I went to the doctor, he literally, he gave me the Charlie foundation website mm-hmm. and he said, eat as much protein as you want and keep your carbs. Uh, don't go over 50 grams of carbs a day. That is all I had to go on when wow. I walked out. And I'm like all excited. Like I can do this. I had no idea how much more it would take, but I, well, that's really interesting because that's not even, I mean, that does not in any way, shape or form guarantee that you're going to produce any ketones whatsoever. (laughs) I know. right? Wow. So I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, (laughs) and I had out on my own, but having a mother like I did and the way she raised me, I became obsessed and I spent hours researching, planning, organizing my meals. And I, I didn't have a dietitian until a year later. There wasn't one here in Austin, Mm. um, at the time. And the, the, the doctor was working with some dietitians at Dell children's that would be willing to work with adults, but they weren't ready. And I'm like, I'm not waiting. So Mm. I went there. I think the next website was the keto evangelist. Uh And um, I started listening to Jimmy Moore's uh, podcast and I read Keto Clarity 
And I also read Brain Grain, Dr. Perlmutter. Mm -hmm. And and, and then I could go on to the list of books I read, but I, I read within the first year, probably 30 books that I could find That's on some amazing. form of brain health in one form or another. I emailed anybody I could email. I contacted everybody, but a lot of people either blew me off or told me I was, I was killing myself. Mm. So it was like, I kind of, at one point I got some blood work done. My mom and I looked it over and I, the numbers were a little weird. She's like, but do you feel better? And this was like six months after I started keto. I go, I feel great. Then she's like, forget everything else and just do what you're doing and forget everybody else. That's awesome. And that's exactly what I did. And then it seemed to just take a life of its own. Um, I, and I, and I was also three months when I, three, three weeks into starting, I created that social media account that you found. Yeah. And, um, because I, I had no idea what I was doing and I was just trying to stumble along and I eventually found my friend Jillian in Canada and mm. she has epilepsy for the, uh, just like me doing mm -hmm. keto. She'd been a year ahead of me and she taught me a lot. She taught me quite a bit. <laughs> so wow. and now we just together go around trying to educate people about it. That's um, really from, awesome. Yeah, from a therapeutic standpoint, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's so different. And that's the other thing is all the information that has been coming out is still more weight loss and all these other things, which is beautiful and wonderful. And I think it's great because I think everybody needs less carbs and less sugar. Mm -hmm. So um, right. but there really still is not a whole lot of people out there on the adult spectrum doing keto for reason like my myself. Mm -hmm. So, um yeah. And wow. research isn't a lot on that either. It's like you're your own research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a very interesting. So do you, um, so now that you are, so I'm assuming once you started kind of really getting into this and, and figuring out what the ketogenic diet really was and doing all this research. So did you begin then testing for ketones and, and trying to figure out all of that? And then were you shooting for a specific range of ketones on a meter? Like how did you manage all that? So I, I, Figured out my macros so I could put on a little weight <clears throat> because okay. I was severe, severely underweight at the time. Um, and I wanted to be back up in the 130 range. Mm -hmm. And um, so I calculated everything to be able to put on some weight. And then I got up to 130 and, and I've, I hovered there for two and a half years. And then to test my ketones, I literally just kind of did research and you know, figured out this is what nutritional ketosis is. This is what therapeutic levels are. And then I tested for, uh, every morning, um, for 90 days straight and to figure out a baseline. And I figured out that I do pretty well between like 1.8 to 2.0 to no higher than like 3.5. So if I'm somewhere in between there, I feel pretty good. Mm -hmm. So it, and then I had to eventually now I'm learning the whole hormones aspect, like ketones drop glucose spikes and to be okay with those issues each month and know that the ketones will continue to level out where they need to be, mm -hmm. but just to play with that. So 
it's a different form of experimentation where I am now versus when I started. Mm -hmm. Um, but I pretty much was testing pretty regularly, both glucose and ketones to figure out. And then I just kind of had to go with how I felt, how Mm -hmm. my body felt. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's tricky. Uh, it's like, I tell people it's like a full-time job. It was my, my health has been a full-time job, but learning keto and getting efficient at it, um, took time. And then also knowing that what worked a month ago might not work next month or six months from now, because you have to factor in your environment. Mm -hmm. You have to factor in your stress levels. You have to factor in a lot of things. And that's why I don't even call it a diet anymore. Mm-hmm. I call it a keto lifestyle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly why this podcast is named that. But that's, exactly. um, and that's interesting because that was actually my next question for you. And so you answered okay. it was the, um, the ups and downs, the differences and how, you know, I'm, I'm always talking to people about finding your keto and what works yeah. for me is not necessarily going to work for you mm-hmm. and what works for you right now may not work for you next month. So exactly. it's really becoming intuitive and learning um, through. I am an advocate of testing in the beginning and I, I kind of steer people to um, or kind of encourage people to steer away from that um, once they've gotten you know, used to how yep. their body feels because I, especially for women, I don't want them obsessing over, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a new obsession, right? They go from counting right. calories to <laughs> obsessing over what your ketone levels are or what your macros are or whatever. But, but I think that it's really, really good to figure that stuff out and, and really make note of how do you feel and then knowing mm-hmm. how to, how that's going to play out in the future. So maybe you're eating the same thing that you always have one day and you're like, you know what? I am just not feeling good. My energy levels are down or I'm feeling bloated or whatever the situation is. And then realizing that you're going to have to switch it up again. So it's interesting that you um, have definitely seen that as well. Even, even though, like you said, a lot of people that are doing this this lifestyle are not doing it for therapeutic reasons, but Mm -hmm. you know, for more body composition or whatever, which, you know, fine. That's (laughs) because like you said, I totally agree. We just in general need less sugar and less carbs in our lives. Mm -hmm. And if we, if that is the driving force behind doing keto is body composition, then that's fine. Because I feel like in the long term, you're going to end up with better health in the end anyway. Because, oh, you definitely. know, you pulled away from all of those things that degrade you over the years. Yeah. And, and I think it, it keto's done a great job of building, a, for a lot of people, not just myself, but a different relationship with food. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'll face different struggles. And from a therapeutic standpoint, I'm, I recently, my big issue was I started losing weight again. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a bit of a concern for me. So people don't you know, I see it all over social media and all over the news now, keto for weight loss. Well, Mm -hmm. sometimes some of us don't want to lose weight. Right. And sometimes it's considered a a, a negative effect. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you, sometimes the things you did in the beginning, like I don't, I didn't, I stopped weighing and tracking all my food, Mm -hmm. um, because I just got, I, I could eyeball things. But then about a month ago, I was like, yeah, I'm losing too much weight. I'm not feeling as well as I think I can. 
And I had to kind of go back to tracking mm-hmm. the food and paying attention a lot more. Um, so I always tell people, don't be afraid to go back to the way thing, you used to do things or to do different things differently or revisit or mm-hmm. just kind of re-familiarize yourself with it. Um, so now how are you able to maintain your weight and still keep your ketones in at therapeutic levels? So what does that look like for you? Well, now... I'll be honest. Some right now, it's it's a bit of a it's been a bit of a struggle for me. Um, and I factor in the fact that it's just not eating a specific way. It's also stress levels and stuff mm-hmm. that affect that stuff. So right now, I'm I'm traveling a bit and speaking a lot. So I think my stress levels are a little higher. And mm-hmm. so um, and I also had been training for a 5K with my sister, and I ended up dropping um, 10 pounds, wow. not because I wanted to. It mm-hmm. wasn't my intention. And it happened. So now I'm okay where I'm at, but I have to be conscious and be aware if I am losing more weight that I need to eat more fat and eat, mm-hmm. you know, be more conscious of it. So I know a lot of people that probably listen are like, oh, lucky her, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we all have our own individual battles and, and the reasons why we, we do keto are so, so different. And mm-hmm. for now, it's just me being more conscious and being more uh, diligent and eating regularly because as anybody that's doing keto and probably a lot of your listeners know, you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. That's very <laughs> and, true. <laughs> I'm not hungry most of the time, but I literally have to sit down and eat mm-hmm. because if I lose too much weight, you have a lot of other issues you're going to deal with. You know, maybe your electrolytes get off, maybe a lot of other things and you have to be, you have to be healthy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And for women, it's a big hormonal game. You know, yes. we really have to be careful about, um, just really not eating enough food, not getting enough calories. I see that mm-hmm. happen all the time and, and women's hormones, um, will just go haywire. Yeah. And that's kind of, and I was having some problems and I was like, all right, we need to revisit this, go back to basics. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to start weighing the food again, start tracking it, just mm-hmm. be more conscious. And then even like for me, uh, my husband will be like, babe, did you eat? Did you have your food? Did you take your meds? Did you do, you know, having uh, an accountability partner? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great, that, yeah, that's a great point actually. Yeah. So you were talking about stress and like you're traveling and speaking and you're doing all that right now. And so how do you manage your stress? What does that look like for you? I love that you asked this. Mm -hmm. This is like a whole other piece of like what I talk to people about. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, I, I do yoga nearly every single day. I have some kind of workout type routine and it helps. It's how I start my day every day. Mm-hmm. Helps me feel centered, helps me feel grounded. I work in um, a few days a week of meditation. And I also work in some quiet time without social media and other things. So that's kind of how I try to balance it on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But when things like right now, um, I'm getting ready to travel in 10 days. So I usually have plans when I travel how how I'm going to keep my stress level down, make sure I get to, to sleep on time, that I'm eating properly, that um, I also... Um, 
like to just break away from when I'm at conferences and stuff and just take quiet time. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I do it um, and have little evening rituals where the phone gets put away at six or seven. So I'm just, it's just the stimulation, I think, mm-hmm. is part of what the stress is. So trying to find places and times in my day and life where stimulation is less. So, mm-hmm. and talking, sharing it with my husband or friends, just kind of expressing uh, the feelings I'm carrying sometimes helps lessen things. And I think that can go for anything that you're going through in life. Mm-hmm. Holding it in is what actually can make it feel worse. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I what, totally agree. Whether the stress is good or bad, you know, stress is stress. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's very true. Yeah. I think it's, um, I love that you put away, you know, your, that you'll take time to put away your phone, whether that's for like a weekend or uh, just kind of earlier in the evening, because I think a lot of us, like you said, it's the stimulation. We are so overstimulated all the time. Mm-hmm. And that is just a huge toll on our bodies. And, you know, I don't think that we, um, you know, we, myself included, I don't think that we really, uh, fully grasp how how foreign that is to the way we were created. Like our bodies are just not, um, we are just not made to be in this overstimulated world that we're in. And, um, you know, so many people, myself included, uh, at times I will find that I stay on the phone too long, too late, you know, at night or, um, you know, checking social media or your, you know, for myself, a lot of times it's work related where I'm, you know, I need to, I need to be, I've got a client file I'm trying to work on or, you know, something like that. And I'm just ran out of time during the day. And so I'm like, well, I'll squeeze it in late at night. And before I know it, it's, you know, 10 30, 11, 11 30. And I'm still on my laptop, you know, working on things. And, and that is, brings us to a whole nother thing, which is not just the stress and the overstimulation, but then your sleep's affected. And, um, I think that's another piece of the puzzle here that, that a lot of people neglect is sleep and realizing how important that is. And it really is, um, I mean, I, I believe personally it is ever bit as important as your nutrition and it may be more important is your quality sleep. So how do you make sure that you're getting good sleep every night and how important is that when it comes to, um, controlling epilepsy? Like, is that a factor for you? Do you think about that? Yes, it's a huge factor. Um, yeah, just like stress is a huge factor. Uh, sleep, if I'm not getting enough sleep, um, I know it immediately. I can feel it in, in my, in my brain. It just feels funny. Mm -hmm. So sleep for me before I did keto, I, I needed 10 and 11 hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I did it and that's, and I needed a nap every single afternoon, like clockwork. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I did that, uh, listened to my body and did it. When I began keto, I found myself needing less sleep than I, than I had needed before. And I functioned just as well, if not better, which was interesting. But there are times like I just finished that conference and stuff. My body was like, you need more sleep. So I was sleeping 10 and 11 hours for about three days straight. After Mm. that, I felt fine. But finding the balance of keeping um, a good amount of sleep and not, you know, cheating myself of that time to restore. um, I usually have the TV off or I'm in bed by 930 or 10. If my body says it needs it sooner, 
I'm in bed sooner and I try not to feel like I'm should be doing something else. So hmm. sleep is a, is a huge priority. And when life happens and I can't always get it in the same way, um, I will force myself to take naps. Yeah, so. that's great. That's really good. Yeah. I've noticed that too. And I think a lot of people, um, feel the same way when they go keto, you do realize that, I mean, for me, not only did my sleep quality improve, but I needed less of it for sure. Um, and I, you know, I'll wake up in the mornings. I I'm an early riser anyway. And so, but it used to be that like you said, I would need probably about 10 hours of sleep was kind of, you know, my thing. And I was never a morning person. It was so hard to get out of bed in the mornings <laughs> and that's tough when you've got five kids and they've got to get on the bus or, you know, yep. whatever the deal is and do all that stuff. So, um, so I, mean, I struggled for years <laughs> trying to figure out how to become a morning person and, um, just never could do it. And once I went keto, um, it wasn't very long after, you know, I, I was really keto adapted that I began to need less sleep. And now, you know, I'm up at six, six thirty every morning and, and I mean, I, I just naturally awake and I'm like ready to get up and get going with my day. And I like it so much better that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. It's, I feel so much more productive and my day, I just start out better every day. And now if I stay in bed till like eight o'clock or something, I'm usually, that's too long. Like I can, I can tell, like it affects me the rest of the day. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. feel as good. <laughs> yeah. So, and like you said, I have energy all day long. Like it, like I, like you, I used to want to nap in the afternoons. Not that I always could because <laughs> right? again, kids, you can't do that. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't be able to, but I would be like thinking, gosh, I wish I could take a nap right now or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. And, um, or if my husband was around I'd be like, I'm just going to go lay down for 20 minutes, you know, take yeah. over. So Uh, But now I don't, I can't even remember the last time I even considered taking a nap. (laughs) Yeah. And that, I mean, I think about mothers a lot. My sister has four kids and Mm -hmm. she says, I don't think I've had a good sleep in 10 years, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think about that and I think about how that must, that, that definitely affects female hormones, right? Yeah. And all that stuff. And it's tough. Mm -hmm. I, I, I figure I'm like, how, how can moms find the balance that they need to be able to continue to give to their children. Yeah. Well, you know what? That is definitely something that keto has done for me. I I mean, for real, I, I could not stress that enough to any moms listening to this is that I, you know, would find it hard. And it's, that's very true. I mean, my oldest is 16 and my youngest is six. So, Mm -hmm. so for, you know, literally 10 years, I have not slept. You know, I felt like I just, like, you just don't, I mean, there are babies. And then, you know, once you get one sleeping through the night, you know, here comes another baby and then you get that one sleeping through the night. And then you have toddlers that climb in bed with you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just create, it's always, it's like always something. And then as soon as you feel like maybe you can start sleeping, then my oldest is getting up at five, five 30 in the morning to start getting ready for school because now he's Mm -hmm. in high school. And so it's like, now you can't sleep. And then they want to stay up, you know, teenagers want to stay up late. And I am a parent where I cannot go to bed until I know all my kids are home and in bed. So, so then you're staying up late trying to watch them. Then you're getting up in the morning trying to help them out. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you really don't, you just, you can't. And so when you're on, you know, when you're, when you're ketogenic, you just, you truly do not need as much sleep. 
Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. And I, I remember hearing that before I started the keto lifestyle and thinking, you know, oh, yeah, we'll see about that. Like I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> never been a morning person. This is not going to go well for me. And it really does. And I always, I, I would burn the candles, the candle at both ends. So I would stay up late and I would never be able to get up in the morning, but I just couldn't wind down in the evenings. And yep. now I don't find that a problem either. Like, you know, like you said, I mean, there's nights that I'm like ready for bed at nine, nine And not that I can do that very often because again, kids, but you know, as soon as I get them down, it, you know, as soon as they're in bed, I'm done. And that's usually around 10, 1030. And I'm like ready and want to go to bed. Yep. You know, it just, it's really interesting how our bodies, and again, that's a hormonal thing. You know, we, once we get ourselves regulated and our hormones regulated, it is fascinating how many things fall into place. <laughs> oh yeah. It's literally like the, like I'll sit and watch TV sometimes, but all of a sudden my body, it's, it feels like something clicks inside of it. And mm-hmm. it's like, you need to be in bed now. Yes. My husband and I call <laughs> that hitting the wall. <laughs> so yeah, the wall means my eyes are closed. And yes. The TV's going. <laughs> right. So, so we have a couple, you know, there's a few little shows that we'll like to watch and sometimes mm-hmm. we'll be in the middle of an episode and mm-hmm. one of us will just look at the other and go, I've hit the wall. Or <laughs> like, yeah, me too. That's it. And we'll just shut it down. That's we're done. <laughs> oh my God. That's going to be my new thing. Cause that happened to me the other night. I was like, I fell asleep in the middle of the episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. I need to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. You know, it's just done. It's just that abrupt sometimes. And, so. and, I, and I think that is one of those things where most people don't listen to that. Yes. And that's the key in all of this. And especially like, I mean, just talking from my perspective, um, my epilepsy has allowed me to be more aware of my body mm-hmm. and a lot more sensitive than the average person. But I think a lot of us in society, and I, I do it myself too, I won't lie, push through it. Yes. When we mm-hmm. shouldn't, because we're going to pay the price in yeah. the long run. My price may just be worse than someone else's. <laughs> right. I mean, you have some very real consequences when you do that. You know, like we, like I might just push through and, uh, you know, maybe I'll be tired the next day, but that I'm assuming could trigger, um, could trigger, could trigger like a seizure for you. Right. Or some type of, uh, definitely, definitely. Or I'd feel my body's really good about giving me an aura and letting me know. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the big, uh, warning sign. Slow Mm -hmm. down now. Yeah. Stop doing what you're doing recalibrate how you're approaching every day because if you keep doing exactly what you're doing we're going to give you a seizure mm-hmm. and then you're going to be really upset. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, this is such a good point though, because people talk about this with nutrition a lot, but, um, it's not always talked about when it comes to, you know, stress and sleep and stuff like that is learning your body and being intuitive and really listening to your body. Um, and actually the, the last conference that I spoke at, that was my topic was finding your, um, keto was the, the topic of the, uh, you know, of the, of the speech, the lecture, but, but what I talked about in there, I think everybody was expecting it to just be about, you know, here's how you calculate your macros, here's what you eat, here's this. And that was part of it, but Mm -hmm. the, just as much as that was, managing stress and sleep and movement because those things, those four pieces is really what it's all about. I mean, you, you've 
got to figure out what it is that you need and what you need could be very different than what I need. Oh, definitely. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's where it's important that people need to learn their, their bodies and, and track different things from whether it's your period to the weather around you to, mm-hmm. you know, your sleep patterns and figure out, you know, figure out what it is you need and then listen to it. Yes. <laughs> and when something isn't, when something's off, realizing that that's, that's a sign, you know, mm-hmm. take, take time to try and figure out, okay, why is that happening? Like, like you said, tracking your periods, like, okay, so this month I, you know, started earlier late or it's heavier than normal or whatever the case is and being like, okay, why is that? What, what's different? What have I changed? Or your sleep starts becoming, um, you know, maybe you're having interrupted sleep or you're not going to sleep as easily, or you're waking up very groggy, you know, why, what's off, what am I doing? You know, it's not, not just, you know, really being aware and paying attention to those things and trying to drill down to figure out what it is that's off, you know, um, I just think it's super important. Yeah. And I think also like the tracking and stuff is, is for me, this is what I've learned is tracking my periods and all of that stuff is also taught me that, well, right before my period, my ketones will drop. So don't get upset about it. Mm-hmm. Or the, the week after my glucose may be a little higher. So don't freak out about it. Mm-hmm. Like people, I think, think, well, my ketones aren't high enough, but what are the other factors? Yes. And so looking at the other factors and knowing this is just a blip in time and that it will change again. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can necessarily hundred percent control yourself. Yes. And absolutely. And realizing that those numbers are just numbers and how do you feel during this? Like, is that, you know, like, are you okay? Are you doing okay? All right. Then don't worry about the numbers. They'll correct. Mm -hmm. You'll be fine. (laughs) Yep. So yeah. Then not becoming obsessed over that stuff. I think that's great. So, um, tell me really quick, the only, the last question I kind of have for you about your lifestyle and how you, um, you know, you are using keto is what type of things do, do you eat on your keto diet? Like what are the things that, what are some of your favorite meals or favorite foods that you eat? And, uh, just, just throughout your day or throughout your week. Okay. Um, I eat a lot of bacon and avocado to the point where <laughs> at one point I was taking photos of my food daily and I realized all I ever ate was bacon and avocado. <laughs> and I thought, wow, everybody must think I'm pretty boring. That's, um, <laughs> That's probably my two staples as well. So you're not alone. <laughs> okay. um, pork belly is another one I eat a lot of. Um, I buy them in huge flats from mm. Costco. Yes. Um, they have my, such good pork belly. Oh my gosh. Exactly. So <laughs> then my husband marinates all of it mm. and then, uh, he cooks it all up cause I'm no good at cooking that. So, um, he does that for me and I do eat that pretty, pretty regular, but that's kind of, um, the basics, but like I do recently, one of my new little treat things I've been doing was uh, a, a little square cream cheese. And then, and then I dump like a nut butter on that or an F bomb packet mm, to mm-hmm. it. And, um, cause people always want to know, well, what do you have for like a treat? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that recently had been one of my, um, my new, my new treats for a while, but I think it's coming to the end. 
So. Yeah. <laughs> so do you do this thing where I do this, uh, where you'll like find something like that, that you really like, and then you just eat it and eat it. And so you're like, all right, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> I mean, yep. I, not at one sitting, but like over a period of time, like every time I want to treat, I'll go for this one thing. And then after a few weeks, I'm like, I don't want it anymore. Like ever. <laughs> Pretty much. I go through phases with things and I will circle back around one of my older ones from the beginning. But eventually, most of the time, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't (laughs) need it. (laughs) So I was doing that with these fat bombs. I was making these chocolate chip cookie dough fat bombs. And Mm -hmm. basically, it's cream cheese and nut butter and some of the Lily's chocolate chips. And I think the recipe calls for the recipe calls for like some swerve or something. And I was barely putting any in there because I really don't need that added sweetness. I just okay. like having the, you know, like a little chunk of fat to eat when I, yep. you know, want something and, and it feels like a treat. And, uh, but I was, I would have one of those and even I, I say like, I'll eat a lot of it, but I would even, I mean, maybe three times a week or something, I would have that, but I did that for like several months. And now I've got like a whole container of them in my freezer and I haven't touched one and I don't even know how long because I'm just kind of, I'm over it. <laughs> so, yep. so I don't know. Pretty I'm much. hoping I'll circle back sometime and eat them so they don't all go bad in there, but <laughs> well, I don't think they'll go bad. They're in the freezer. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, my, I don't have like anything. See, my relationship with food is so different now that uh, I don't think, oh, I get to go to that restaurant or I get to do that thing. Uh, food doesn't have the same feeling yes. did for me. Mm-hmm. So when people always ask that question, I'm like, well, I just eat what's in the fridge. Right. You know, <laughs> isn't that so that's so interesting. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that is such an interesting point. Um, I totally agree. I, I used to like plan, like we'd plan a vacation or a trip. And my, I think my number one concern was what are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? When Mm -hmm. are we going to eat? Like, like just, you know, always thinking about that stuff and, you know, just constantly. And now it's not that I don't enjoy food. I mean, I I love food. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm definitely a foodie. I love to cook. I love to, you know, put things together and I love going out for a good dinner, but it's just so different. Like it, it doesn't, it's, it's just doesn't rule your life anymore. Yeah. And for me also, it's like not, well, I I want that to taste good. I don't care what it tastes like anymore half the time. I'm Mm -hmm. like, it's my medicine. It's my food. It doesn't mean I have a a hate relationship with it. It just simply means it has its purpose and and I eat it and I feel better. That's why I do it. I don't eat it. Like I physically feel better. I don't eat it to feel emotionally better. Yes. It's nourishment. Yes. And, and it's a very different view of food than it used to be. And that's a great, you put it in a great way. It's not, it's, you don't eat it to feel emotionally better. You eat it to satisfy its nourishment. Like your body needs it. It tells you it wants to eat. You eat you may enjoy what you're eating. That's great. And if not, that's great too. Whatever. It doesn't even matter. You just, you just eat for nourishment and then it's not this emotional thing anymore, which is a big deal. Yes. (laughs) So, um, well that I, you know, that is pretty much, I mean, we just learned so much talking to you and, and, I did anyway about, um, you know, as I hope my listeners did just about just kind of how you're managing it, uh, you know, managing epilepsy therapeutically with keto and just how, um, just how that has really helped you and, 
and just kind of made things better for you. I love that you're out doing these conferences and talking to people about it and just kind of giving people a look into that world yeah. and yeah. how, you know, keto is more than just, um, you know, I want to have more energy and lose weight. <laughs> yes, it's definitely. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. It's been the greatest, greatest experience of my life so far, I'd say. That's awesome. So, um, tell me listeners how they can find out more about you, like where they can follow you, where they can find you. Do you have a website? Like all that stuff. Okay. Um, I do have a website. Um, it's jadenelson.net. So just my name, Mm jadenelson.net. And I am on Instagram as the train inside me. So, Mm -hmm. uh, people can find me there. I'm very active on Instagram. Um, and Pretty much everything else you can find on my website. Awesome. Jade, thank you so much for your time and doing this interview. And I hope to see you around the conference circuit sometime. Yes, I look forward to that. I hope so too. <laughs> Thanks, Jade. Have a great week. All right, you too. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode. 